What's up, everybody, and welcome into a special Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Wherever you're listening to us from, thanks so much for downloading the podcast as we broadcast live from the wrestling capital of the world, Chicago, Illinois. This podcast will be a special podcast celebrating the life of one half of my favorite all-time favorite tag team in professional wrestling history, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette because of the passing of beautiful Bobby Eaton. Some had the Road Warriors as their favorite. Some had the British Bulldogs or the Rock and Roll Express or the High Flyers of Jim Brunzel or Greg Gagne. There's been so many great tag teams over the years. But my favorite tag team happens to be the Midnight Express. And we are going to celebrate the life of beautiful Bobby Eaton because somebody will ask me, okay, so what's your favorite combination on the Midnight Express? Is it with Dennis Condry? Is it with Stan Lane? And the answer is yes to both because I liked both combinations of the Midnight Express because the constant, whether it was Condry or Lane, was beautiful Bobby Eaton. And so we will hear from Jim Cornette, his longtime manager of the Midnight Express. We will hear from Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer and others regarding Bobby Eaton in his career. So there's a lot to talk about here. I will tell you that um, this is uh, going to be a difficult podcast to get through because it when you are a wrestling fan, you're not necessarily caught up in all the politics. I know that that is something that is um, part of the wrestling fan today, the politics. But for me, it starts with just being a fan, going to the UIC Pavilion in Chicago to see the Midnight Express. Remember, the National Wrestling Alliance, as far as syndication, started in 1986. And... I watched the Rock and Roll Express against the Russians. I watched the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. And I said, boy, this Midnight Express is totally different than anything that I saw in professional wrestling. Remember, I grew up in Chicago as an AWA fan. And so when you think about all of the tag teams in that era, it was very wrestling-based, very mat-based, not a lot of high-flying. And when you see the Midnight Express in their prime in the 80s and into the 90s, and those classic matches. And I don't mean it just as, oh, that was a great match back in the day, I remember. No, I'm talking about wrestling matches that set the standard. The Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. They set the standard for great professional wrestling tag team matches. And all through the Carolinas, all through the South, all through the Northeast, in Chicago as well, that battle raged for a long time. But Bob Eaton was part of that. And he was the glue many times to those tag team matches. What you will hear are a lot of things that I have not heard about Bobby Eaton before as far as him just being a, not just a great guy, but one of the all-time greats. I know that when you think of beautiful Bobby Eaton, you don't think, oh, that's a great wrestler. But when you think about when he started as a teenager, there's a very short list of Pro wrestlers that started as a teenager. Terry Gordy, the Freebird, is on that list. Um, C.V. Offie is on that list as well uh, when he's in the WWE. 
And also, Beautiful Bobby Eaton is on that list as well as one of the all-time greats when it comes to uh, starting as a teenager and working his way through what I would consider a Hall of Fame career. So let us go through and celebrate the life of Beautiful Bobby Eaton, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, one of my all-time favorite tag teams. And uh, let's talk about Bobby Eaton and start from the beginning. So Bobby Eaton started his career in 1976, and he was a singles wrestler, and we'll get a chance to hear some of that old classic uh, audio of Bobby in the ring as a singles wrestler. And he worked, obviously, with a number of tag team partners, with Dennis Condry, with Stan Lane, Midnight Express, worked with Arn Anderson and WCW, worked with Steve Kern and also Lord Steven Regal. I also worked with Coco Ware, Coco Beware, which I found interesting. I wish that there was just uh, just video footage of Eaton and Coco working together. Everything I hear about them was like Coco Ware and Bobby Eaton. Boy, you should have seen them. They were a great tag team together. I wish I would have saw that in the Nick Goulas era of uh, the CWA. I would have loved to be able to see that um, those two in Memphis as well wrestling together because everything I hear is like, oh man, you think Bobby was good at the with the Midnight Express? You should have seen him with Coco Ware. I just that the idea that they were a tag team. I guess it works because both of those two were, were high flyers. Uh, the most de- one of the most devastating drop kicks I've ever seen came from Coco Beware. If you just go and just Google that or go to YouTube, you could find him working for Bill Watts in the UWF, and Coco had a tremendous drop kick, and he meant business when he was in the ring. But I would imagine those two together had to be great. But he worked in um, NWA Mid America in seventy six to eighty. Uh, working with Bearcat Wright, um, I know that he also was able to uh, build a few with Chris Colt. People need to know who Chris Colt is. He's just a bizarre character, really bizarre character. So that must have been great to watch in 1979. I mentioned Continental Wrestling Association in 1980 to 83. He's a singles wrestler, also did some tag team work as well. And then went to Mid-South and was able to hook up with um, Dennis Condry. Dennis Condry already was a terrific wrestler, very solid tag team wrestler. But being part of the Midnight Express, when they all came together in 83, from 83 to 85, they were in Mid-South working uh, for Bill Watts. And they were going up and down the towns and uh, all through the South and really cut their teeth and made a name for themselves. Again, you know. Bobby was already established as a young wrestler, but Dennis Condry already was a grizzled veteran. So they were working together really well. They went to world class. I remember watching them in Dallas working for world class just for a year and then getting to Jim Crocker Promotions where he was able to get on a big stage uh, working for JCP, working for the National Wrestling Alliance and World Championship Wrestling. That's when I first started seeing him on TV in 85, 86 in that era and then watching him throughout his time as a world title. Elvin Champion, uh, watching him with the Dangerous Alliance as well with um, what I think is a very underrated faction. Listen to this faction. So it is Bobby Eaton, Michael Hayes, uh, Arn Anderson was part of that as well. Rick Rude was part of that. Larry Zabisco. I mean, the Dangerous Alliance was was really, really good. Also, a very young Stone Cold Steve Austin was also part of that uh, faction as well. As a matter of fact, when I think about it, Paul E. Dangerously was the manager. uh, And that was just a a great, great faction. 
So I really enjoyed that. He went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, did Bobby Eaton, and was able to return it to WCW. And he was a long-time employee of WCW from 93 through 2000. He was with WCW, including parts of the Blue Bloods, and was really a singles competitor after that um, during that time in the late 90s into the 2000s. So I, I really enjoyed his career, and I, I'm just very sad to see him go. I, it is... Shocking to me because I knew that he was not well, but it's shocking when that's the first thing that you wake up with. I tweeted it at Wrestling TWT on our Twitter page, and I'm getting up to do my morning show with David Kaplan. That's the first thing I see on my Twitter that Bobby Eaton passed away overnight, and um, that was um, very difficult to read, the first thing you see, right? And the the thing I also want to just point out is that it, it's difficult because – Bobby Eaton passes away, and in June of this year, um, Bobby's wife passed away, Donna Dundee Eaton. Uh, Bill Dundee's daughter married Bobby Eaton, and she just passed away because of breast cancer in June. And, of course, Bobby passes away in August. So, you know how I feel. I am... um, I am uh, tore up about this because, again, half of my favorite tag team of all time. Everyone can't be around forever, but I just know that Bobby Eaton meant a lot to me and fans that respected him. And definitely the boys in the back, those that worked with him, said that Bobby Eaton was very, very special. Uh, Not only in the ring, but also out of the ring as well. It's just one of the nice guys in wrestling. So let's take our journey to review the career of Bobby Eaton. Let's go to 1981, Georgia Championship Wrestling and Gordon Soley on the call. Boy, you talk about this will not resonate with a lot of our younger listeners listening across the country. But I will tell you, if you're an older listener, Bobby Eaton versus Mike Jackson is a pretty good matchup because you're talking about two technically skilled wrestlers. But for some, it's just like, okay, it's just uh, Carpenter or someone I've never heard of, Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson's still wrestling today. It's 2021, and Mike Jackson's still doing shots, which is amazing, right? Uh, a young Bobby Eaton against Mike Jackson on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Mike Jackson and Bobby Eaton, this ought to be quite a contest indeed. Now, Mike Jackson, uh, in the professional ranks, you would almost say it a diminutive 200 pounds. But let me tell you something about this guy. He can move, and I mean move. And he's going up against a man. He's giving away some poundage here, but uh, he'll have a greater speed, greater flexibility. As you can see now, uh, he has a great, great tendon strength, too. You'll notice that uh, Eaton is testing him for weight, balance, and leverage, and notice how quickly Jackson got him in a side headlock. That's the thing about Jackson, and I've watched him wrestle many, many times. And he has a tremendous attitude when he steps into the ring. He knows he's giving away weight. He knows that automatically. And uh, regardless of who his opponent is. So consequently, uh, his attitude is to stay aggressive, stay loose, and uh, uh, keep himself in top psychological and mental uh, capability as well as physical capabilities. Good shoulders, man. Jackson uses those ropes very much to his own event. Beautiful. Quick duck under that time. Hooked his man very nicely. You see what I'm talking about with this man, Jackson? A roll. A roll across the back and an arm drag takedown. And Eaton now is beginning to wonder what's happened to him. Good high hit toss. And Eaton has his problem. 
Jackson up. Flying head scissors and Jackson charges him again. That time it was Eaton catching him as he tried for that crossbody block. No, sir. Jackson powers out before the count of three. Eaton driving him into that turnbuckle. Full power slam. And Jackson came out of that before the count of three. Backbreaker that time. Jackson to the canvas. He scores the pinfall. He scores the pinfall. And a uh, certainly uh, a fine victory for uh, Bobby Eaton. So I mentioned Bob Eaton was a Mid-America champion. He was managed by Jimmy Hart, the Mount of the South Jimmy Hart in the Memphis Territory. The great Lance Russell is on the mic. One of the things that we heard over the years is that, you know, Bob Eaton just wasn't a very good promo. And there's a reason why Jim Cornette did a lot of speaking for the Midnight Express is because Bobby was not the greatest promo, but I thought he was a good promo, especially in his early days, as he just lays it on the line. He's a Mid-America champion. He's like, you know what? I'll defend his title against anybody, including Bill Dundee, who's in the ring waiting for Bobby Eaton to get in the ring and face him uh, back in... June of 1982 for Memphis Wrestling. I'll handle it. First of all, Lance, did I tell your friend how to do it last week that I was going to be the people's champion? I did not tell you that day last week I was going to be the people's champion. I was going to defend this Middle America belt against anybody and anyone. That's included this little chump in the ring right now, Bill Dundee. And I told you that last week I was going to go in the ring with Steve Kern and defend this belt. And that's why I've done it. I like to beat that boy's head completely off his shoulders. And now... Everybody's talking about they want to shout this Middle America belt. Well, you're not giving me enough time out here to represent this Middle America belt. You're giving all the time to J.J. Dillon and all the time to Kamala. Well, if they're so much the big champions, won't they sign a contract or get in touch with Jimmy Hart? And I'll put this Middle America belt up against Kamala, J.J. Dillon, um, Steve Kern, Jerry Lawler, anybody wants a shot. Bill Dundee, all you got to do is get in touch with my manager, Jimmy Hart. And this right here, this Middle America belt, the thing that I own, in which I'm going to be the people's champion, and get in here to defend against the little midget. This going to be a handicap match. And I'm going to get in the ring with Bill Dundee, and I am going to defend this Middle America heavyweight champion. Oh, look. Do I have to keep putting up with your ponies like this? somebody who would love to have a... See, uh, Bobby Eaton just laid it on the line, says he'll defend against anybody. All right. Well, all of a sudden, Dutch Mantell comes out. He's going to be the special enforcer uh, for this matchup with Bobby Eaton as the Mid-America champion in the Memphis Territory against superstar Bill Dundee. Here's the closing moment to that match. Six minutes, 45 seconds gone. So we're very near the seven-minute mark. Dundee hooks it. Seven minutes right now. Seven minutes gone. That means there's eight minutes left in the time limit. Bobby Bill Dundee. Eating into the road.
back. Bill drops to the mat. One of the, uh, one of the turnbuckles, uh, the, the rope has pulled out of the turnbuckle in one of the far corners, and the middle rope is sagging. into the ropes by Bobby So much to the singles career of Bobby Eaton, and as I mentioned, was able to work with Dennis Condry and Stan Lane and Lord Steven Regal, the William Regal you see on NXT now, and working with um, Arn Anderson and a few others as far as a tag team. But uh, when you think about the Midnight Express, you think about Bobby Eaton first because he was the high flyer and the guy, the bump taker, the guy that was first one off the scaffold matches. As I mentioned to you before, just seeing a scaffold match at the UIC Pavilion, uh, to see that live, to see Eaton taking that bump first, and um, being able to see the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express um, in person, be able to watch it on the TV shows that the NWA would put out there, it was just fantastic. Fantastic wrestling. And so Jim Cornette wasn't just the guy that was the manager. He was calling plays like a coach. So funny that Jim's not really sports inclined, but he was calling different moves or designing different moves and a lot of times designing the entire match for the Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Rocket, you know, the Midnight Express and the Smoking Guns or Dynamic Dudes or Road Warriors or Fantastics. Um, uh, it just, he, he did so much for the Midnight Express and the matches that, uh, that they were in. So as I mentioned Last week, I was not going to um, do a podcast about Beautiful Bobby Eaton until I heard from the manager of the Midnight Express. And uh, here is Jim Cornette, how he started episode 393 of the Jim Cornette Experience, talking about the passing of Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Hello, everybody. This is a different kind of Jim Cornette experience today, and... We've already started it once, didn't get this far. Um, it, we're not going to review any wrestling. And we're not going to talk about bullshit. And there's no commercials. And I don't actually know if we're going to finish this at this point. I don't know if we're going to get anything that we can air. I would like to. Because I truthfully want to get this over with. And I can't do another podcast in my life without talking about this. So the option was do this or never do another podcast again, which was heavily considered over the last couple of days rather than do this. But we're going to try. Um, if you're listening to this, then you probably know 
that Bobby Eaton passed away this past Wednesday night. And obviously everybody, as soon as they got the news, were on social media and etc. And a lot of people were paying tribute to him. But everybody knows that I have a hard time talking about stuff like this with about certain people. And so I wasn't sure exactly what we might do here today, and I'm still not. Um, and that's why Brian Last is here to try to keep me on some kind of coherent train of thought, Brian, which you've already lost that battle. Um but what we're going to try to do, because the words that I just got out may have been the hardest, we're going to—I'm not going to say those again. But we're going to try to just talk today about Bobby and what he meant to everybody, and some of the <laughs> cool things about him, and how much that he helped not only me but a lot of people, and that the respect that they had for him, and. Brian, I'll let you talk in a minute, but obviously a lot of people are like, what happened? What happened? Well, we already talked about on the shows here last month, Bobby's wife, Donna, passed away. She was Bill Dundee's daughter, and they'd obviously been married. uh, Well, they got married in, what was it, 1981-ish? I I can't remember, but anyway, um, and the story went out that they Donna had always been forbidden to uh, to date any wrestlers because she's the daughter of a wrestler and Dundee knew what was going on. And then he found out without finding out who it was, just that she'd been behind his back. She'd been seeing one of the boys, and she, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill the motherfucker!" And she says, "Bobby Eaton," and he's, uh, "Well, all right, God damn it! If you had to pick one, you picked the right one." And so Donna had passed away. She'd had breast cancer uh, before, and then it had come back. And it had been, you know, she knew what was going on. Um, But it was just last month. And then a few weeks later, and I don't think we've even talked about this on the show because I didn't want to alarm people. Um, but Bobby had gotten dizzy, fallen some kind of way at, at his, at his house in Nashville. Uh, His daughter, Taryn was moving over from North Carolina to, uh, to live there so that she could monitor Bobby's medicines and, you know, the issues he's had. We, everybody knows he's had so many health issues. He's had a couple of heart attacks. He had a pacemaker put in he was diabetic um i mean honestly like most of the boys uh his age that have worked for so long he'd been having issues back and forth with his memory and maybe you know it wasn't a serious situation you know all the time but you know point is needed somebody to make sure he was taking his medicine etc taryn was in the process of moving over, I think she completed that. But anyway, they took him to the hospital because he fell and banged himself up and he was 
dizzy and they couldn't get him upright. So um, they kept him for, I guess he was there for about 10 days because they were monitoring his various signs. Um, they even, at, at one point, they asked him what kind of pacemaker he had. And he it might as well have asked him, you know, what battery they use on the Challenger space shuttle, right? He, I, you know, and they, I think they called the hospital over in Jonesboro where he'd got it. And, but at one point also, they'd mentioned that they, uh, and I was getting this from, from Bobby told me a little bit you know, times I talked to him, but his friend Brian Thompson went over and saw him and, and got some of this information and I'm trying to relay it properly, but they had mentioned they might send him to a, from the hospital to a physical rehab center because of his hip. They were concerned about his hip in the fall, but I still, as, as we were thinking about it further i don't know whether he injured his hip particularly in that fall or whether they just actually x-rayed bobby eaton and said my god how are what's the matter here how are you walking we need to do something immediately i don't know right um but at any rate then they decided to uh send him home and have a physical therapist come to his house uh, to work on his hip and etc., and they revamped his medicines and sent him home on Saturday afternoon. And I talked to him right as they were he well, like, well, Gordon, they're going to let me go home. I'm going to get off of here. Um, and he has been there with you know his daughter and I think grandson is there, and people you know been. He's been on the medicine. People were around him. His physical therapist came on Wednesday afternoon and worked with him. And I was like, okay, you know. And then Wednesday night, something happened. So. Some of the thoughts there from Jim Cornette. We'll hear more from Jim coming up in a little bit. As I mentioned, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express had some great matches over the years. Uh, here's Lance Russell and Teddy Long on the call for Midnight Express against Rock and Roll Express, April of 
Just craziness. Stan Lane, great Christian athletes. He's so great. That's when Jimmy Cornette was out uh, with a leg injury. He was not available on Red Ringside. It's good to hear Stan right standing right next to Bobby after they felt like they got screwed by referee Dick Worley at the Cap Center in Washington, D.C. That's just a couple of examples. And you can go on YouTube and check it out for yourself. And tell me whether or not the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express were not great tag team matches. You'd be wrong because they were great. There's no question. As I mentioned, uh, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, uh, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette, were in Dallas for a year. When you hear Jim Cornette tell the story, they were not happy about their time working for Fritz von Erich in Dallas for world-class championship wrestling. But they were able to get this win on television. Bill Mercer on the call. He's going to have a double 
strength headache here in a minute. O'Connery and Eaton talk it over. I don't think there's any question what they know they have to do, and that's got to come back and try to figure out what in the world keeps flying all over them. And how? Fantastic. There's a run. Oh, nice move by Fulton getting off that uh, shoulder pad. Express, very able, very exciting. That's Cornette slapping and yelling and screaming and trying to get his man going. But Eaton still is in charge. Eaton still commanding this part of the match. Tremendous chop. And Conry returns. minutes and 21 seconds of Midnight Express and playing the world around the American tag team title. Midnight Express get the American Tag Team Championships out of world class from the Fantastics. And by the way, the Midnight Express and Fantastics had a great match. Go back to Clash of the Champions 1. The story is is that the Fantastics and Midnight Express, because it was the first clash, it wasn't timed very well, but it was the same clash that Ric Flair took on Sting, the 45-minute classic um, in which Ric Flair really made Sting in that particular card. Well, the Midnight Express and the Fantastics were on that card, and you would think they'd get 15 minutes, maybe. Uh, they got nine minutes. And so they decided to turn that match into a Memphis match. Go back and watch this the craziness of that matchup where Jim Cornette pretty much called and said, if we only, only get nine minutes, we're going to have tables, we're going to have chairs, we're going to just go crazy uh, and try to steal the night, if nothing else, have the best tag team match on the card for the Clash of Champions 1. So go back and check that out. But the Fantastics and Midnight Express, I remember them 
on Worldwide Wrestling. I'm sure that's on YouTube as well. 60 Minutes. Fantastics against the Midnight Express, in which the Express win, I believe, the United States Championships, the U.S. Tag Team Championships. Dusty Rhodes as the booker back then. If he thought that there was a hot act on the card for the NWA, he would put one match on for 60 minutes. Could you imagine that today? Like Ric Flair versus Barry Windham was a 60-minute time limit draw. It was on Worldwide Wrestling. It was on syndicated TV. Same thing with Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express against the Fantastic. It was all the whole show. A 60-minute match. Um, and it went like 56, 57 minutes, and then the Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express won that matchup. But it's just amazing uh, during that time where you can have Broadways on TV and people were invested. And so that just shows you the good old days there where those were some really classic matches. They're not classic because I remember them. They're classic because they are classic matches. Uh, Dave Meltzer, wrestling historian from Wrestling Observer Radio and, of course, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter was talking just the other day about his memories of beautiful Bobby Eaton. Fantastic in-ring wrestler. If he was, if he was wrestling now, uh, I mean, he was a big, big star when he wrestled then, but if he was wrestling now, he'd be an even bigger star because he'd be working with better people and it would, it would have elevated his game to a, an even bigger level. And he was, because he was so talented and, um, he probably would have been a major single star, um, somewhere, uh, just based on his work alone. And I mean, the big thing for him was, was Jim Cornette. I mean, because when, you know, as good as Bobby was in that era, so much of your game depended on interviewing. And Bobby wasn't much of a, of an interviewer. He was a shy guy. And, but Jim Cornette was one of the great talkers of all time. And when you put the two together, you know, with Jim Cornette, with um, managing the Midnight Express, which was, you know, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Conjuring, later Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, it was one of the greatest tag team acts that there's ever been. Um, and, um, you know, but Bobby, I mean, a lot of people don't know. I mean, Bobby, Bobby was always a wrestling fan in Alabama, and he was trained by Tojo Yamamoto, and he started for working for Nick Goulas. And um, he started at the bottom and moved his way. He was so talented. I mean, um, you know, Bobby was probably main eventing, you know, I don't know, by, he started at 17, he was probably main eventing by 19 or 20, I would think, because he was having like sensational matches with Randy Savage um, before Randy Savage went to ICW. And um, he, you know, was formed um, a couple of tag teams in in for Nick Goulas, including the Jet Set, which was I guess his first big break as a babyface tag team with George Goulas, who was Nick's son, who was not a good wrestler whatsoever, and Bobby was fantastic. So Bobby basically carried the team, and they were the top babyface tag team in that territory. And Bobby eventually left, went to other places. Um, I I had known of Bobby, uh, but I think the first I saw of him would have been, um, I didn't see him in his, uh, originally in um, Tennessee. I wasn't getting tapes yet uh, for, is when he was started working for Jarrett. Um, but I saw him in Georgia Championship Wrestling where he held the TV title and he was not really pushed, but 
he was there and he was a super worker. I mean, that was the one thing is like I'd watch him and, and I was just like amazed. He was one of the best in the world, but he wasn't really getting a push. I mean, he would win his television matches. It was not a guy who would get squashed, but he mostly worked underneath, sometimes the middle. Uh, wasn't beating the top stars or anything like that. Not really pushed as a top star, but an incredible worker always, um, you know, probably an incredible worker like i said was still a teenager and then um from there he went back to uh work for Jarrett, and that's when he and coco ware became a tag team um they actually first feuded bobby was working as a single coco as a, as a heel bobby was a, coco was a baby face then um I don't know, Coco probably lost a lose leave town match, I think. I don't even know. But he, he started wrestling as Sweet Brown Sugar, and he turned heel. So they put him and Bobby as a team, and they were one of the best tag teams in the world. They were amazing. I remember watching the matches then, you know, with them, with um, fabulous ones, you know, which, of course, one of them was Stan Lane, who later became his tag team partner, and various different other things. But I just remember watching those tapes of the Mid-South Coliseum matches with Bobby Eaton. I saw him with Jerry Lawler. This, this, this stuff was, you know, um, in tag teams with Lawler, maybe with Dutch Mantel perhaps. But um, I just remember watching him work with Lawler. It was incredible. And him work with just anyone, just the stuff he did in the ring, the creativity, his bump taking, his offense, just had it all. Just an incredible wrestler. And then he was working that territory. And then that's when the big thing happened in... Uh, 82 when mid-south wrestling watts's territory was down for a variety of reasons um you know junkyard dog was not drawing that big with uh i believe it was kamala you know because they were having horrible matches i remember seeing one oh fuck those were sleep inducing they would have really good undercards and they'd have these main event that you'd just put you to sleep and um you know you know, Watts brought in, Watts was, couldn't figure out what was wrong, you know, even though if he watched his own card, just watched the main events, maybe he would have figured it out. But, you know, he, they, they, JYD had been such a big draw that it's hard to blame him, you know, and he was never a good wrestler. But the problem was with JYD was working with good wrestlers. And when he was with Kamala, he wasn't working with a good wrestler anymore. Um, and he was also getting really out of shape. So it was a combination of things. But anyway, Watts brought in Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler and just come to the territory, figure out what's wrong. And, you know, they, Jerry Jarrett gave him it. His basic advice was you've got all these big guys, these big mean guys. You got nobody to draw women. And all your big guys wrestled, you know, the big guy style. And you just need more of a variety. So as part of one of the, as the deal, they they agreed that they would switch out a lot of talent. They made kind of like informal trades. And um, one of the things that uh, Jarrett pushed on him was Jim Cornette. Because Jim Cornette was managing, but he could never be the top manager in Memphis because they had Jimmy Hart. And he just pushed Cornette on him, and they made a tag team. Dennis Condry and Randy Rose and Norvell Austin were the original Midnight Express in uh, Alabama, and they took the name the Midnight Express, and it was they sent Condry, Dennis Condry, super wrestler, and Bob Eaton, who was even better than Dennis, and made them the Midnight Express, and they were one of the greatest tag teams of all time you know like you know as far as american tag teams go i mean 
right at the top of the top. You know, I mean, like top, you could argue the best. Um, you could make the argument that they're the best. Uh, I don't know if like, you know, when you say all time, the problem with all time is, is that you're talking all time, you know, like in their era, in their era from 93 to 90, they were the best tag team in wrestling. I mean, were they, you know, can you compare them to Stevens and Patterson? Can you compare them to teams now? I mean, you know, it's, it's not a fair comparison, but they're in, the, they're in the same breath with those guys. And there you have it, Dave Meltzer for Wrestling Observer, talking about where he places the Midnight Express amongst the best tag teams. And, of course, beautiful Bob Eaton, a part of that. That's part of the Wrestling Observer Live. You can check that out on the Wrestling Observer website. I've heard Bobby Eaton was the most generous guy on the road. Do you have any great stories about his kindness? Oh, God. It used actually to, to the point where it would endanger us. One day after a show at Reunion Arena in Dallas one night, <clears throat> we leave, we're leaving and, and driving out. And, of course, uh, Bobby wanted to get some beer. Dennis wanted to get something. I wanted to get, the, you know, I, I was on the Pepsi at that point in time. I was still on the caffeine. So we stop at this liquor store on the corner, and, and this is when we first got to Dallas, and we don't realize until we kind of pull up that this is a seamy-looking joint, right? There's like a row of homeless people, eight or ten of them, stretching into the darkness down the one side, not where the the big fluorescent lights of the liquor store are in the front, but kind of down the side. They're, they're camped out there, and it's just a seamy neighborhood. As so I said, I'm... I'll just sit in the car. Bobby said, I'll, I'll get you something, Corny. I'll get you a Pepsi. He goes in. Dennis goes in, gets a fucking six-pack real quick, comes back out and get in the car. As he's getting in the car, some bum walks up to him and says, so, you know, do you have 25 cents or whatever? He's like, I don't, I don't have anything, buddy. He gets in the car and locks it up. You know, Dennis could just be cold and turn people away, right? But goddamn, it, we're looking through the window of the store, and there's Bobby, and he's talking to some guy. And you see him talking to the guy, and then all of a sudden they both go down an aisle together. And oh Jesus! And then we see, you know, past the the displays and everything. But they come up to the cashier, and and Bobby's checking out and paying and everything. And they walk out the front door. And I swear to God, this fucking bum has a grocery sack full of shit. I mean, it's almost like you see goddamn French bread sticking up the top. Bobby's bought him groceries. He's got a cigar in his pocket. <laughs> Bobby's bought him groceries. He's got some shit tucked in his his back pocket. Bobby's shaking the free hand that's not holding the shit and fucking slapping him on the back. <laughs> and Bobby and Bobby has his own six pack and me a, a, a Pepsi. And he gets in the car and we start to pull out. And that old bum with that brand new sack of shit goes around that corner, starts walking down that dark street past all those homeless people. And Dennis said, Bobby, you just got that motherfucker killed. <laughs> Oh. And, and of course, he got it. There was a, a large bottle of liquor in the fucking sack, also. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, the boys in I think the last time I saw Rick Steiner, he was still talking about this. But a, a lot of the boys do. And when you mentioned Bobby eating in the locker room, it used to be a rib. Go ask Bobby to borrow something just to see if he's got it. Because he carried these giant duffel bags you could have stuffed the bodies of, you know, small adult women in. And they were fucking huge and they were expandable. And in those bags, he would stuff in 
I don't know if a hotel room ever kept a towel after Bobby stayed there, and he brought ten from home also. So he had a duffel bag. Literally, he's dragging bags and things slung over his shoulder, but towels and toiletries and sewing kits and socks and any tape multiples of each of these things anything a wrestler would need on the road and it got to the point where guys would get so specific they'd be like bobby do you have any silverware and he would pull out a knife and fork out of his fucking bag and then of course he'd lend it to him and they wouldn't give it back to him and again a lot of them as a rib and some of them not as a rib but he'd replace the shit and he was like a traveling convenience store a lot of touching tributes uh, for Bobby Eaton, including Busted Open, my friends. At Busted Open, Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray. Bully Ray, one of the more decorated tag team champions uh, of all time with the Dudley Boys or Team 3D. Uh, of course, Bully Ray and uh, Dave LaGreca host Busted Open on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Some thoughts about the passing of beautiful Bobby Eaton from... LaGreca and Bully Ray. When you think of Bobby, and obviously you think about the Midnight Express, but for a lot of, you know, that next generation of wrestler, that next generation of Hall of Fame wrestlers, I mean, Bobby went out of his way to help that younger superstar. I remember, uh, Dave, I had the honor and the benefit one night uh, in about in 2006 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, me and Devon got to work with Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. Wow. Can you imagine that? Eaton and Condry. And I just remember picking up little pointers from him in the ring. It wasn't anything that he taught me beforehand. It wasn't anything he taught me afterwards. It was little things and quick little nuggets that he gave me while we were in there. And I was like, damn, this guy is good enough to know what he needs to do, what I need to do, and teach me on the fly. A, a, a true professional's professional. And I went uh, onto YouTube, as you probably know I would, Bully. As soon as I found out that Bobby Eaton passed, I went to YouTube and I was pulling up some old matches. There's one match from 1985, and I put it up on social media at David LaGreca 1. And it's on YouTube, and it's a match between the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. And there's no commentary on it. So the only thing you hear is the crowd. And I did the bully test. So I was kind of working on the show this morning, and I had it playing, but I wasn't watching. I was just listening. And it's unbelievable, Bully. You could hear the ebbs and flows of the match. You can actually, you could picture the match in your head without even watching it just by the soundtrack that that crowd noise had. You didn't need the commentators. And it's amazing the pop that the Rock and Roll Express got at the beginning of the match, the end of the match, and it was one of those swerve endings because you heard the pop thinking that the Rock and Roll Express had won you know, the tag team championship, and then you find out something else had happened entirely. But, but Bully, you always say, listen, listen, that's the best soundtrack, and that's what I did this morning. It's unbelievable when you don't even have to look at it. You could hear the roar of the crowd to tell what was going on in the match. And when you think about tag team wrestling, Dave, I mean, we, we can who's the greatest tag team of all time? The Road Warriors. But when you talk about tag team rivalries, it's not even like it, it, there is no second thought. It's the rock and roll in the midnight. 
End of story. There is no other, oh, well, these two teams and these two teams, yada, yada. Nope. Rock and roll in the Midnight Express. And nobody has come close. I can't I don't care about there is I don't care about what other teams did uh, yeah I get it there are so many other great rivalries in history so many great matches maybe bigger moments than those guys have had but when it comes to tag team wrestling it is the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express That's it That's what you that's what you aspire to be when it comes to in ring tag team excellence when it comes to drawing money and putting asses in seats, you aspire to be the road warriors. When it comes to that in-ring work, that psychology, that, that you know, we have something called the master's class uh, on our podcast. Those are the true masters of the craft of tag team wrestling. And Bobby Eaton was a pioneer. I would say the Midnight Express are the greatest tag team of all time. <laughs> but Bully's favorite tag team is the Road Warriors. We all have our favorites, but there's nothing like Bob Eaton and Stan Lane or Bob Eaton and, and Dennis Condry and Jim Cornette calling the plays. Here is some thoughts from a really, really close friend of Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, on The Arn Show. His thoughts about the passing of his good friend, Bobby Eaton. You and I today, not to put any pressure on you, but very seriously are taxed and have the responsibility to explain to the world just what a wonderful, wonderful man Bobby Eaton was and will always be in my mind. So that means is one of a kind, one of the best human beings that ever lived, if not the best, aside from the performer that he is. So if we can get that across today, mission accomplished. So there's a snippet there from Ad Free Shows where Arn Anderson talks about the greatness of beautiful Bobby Eaton.
situation. Brings this man up. Now watch very carefully the way his... See if he, no, this, is, uh, this happened right before, I'm sorry. Here we go, right here. Yeah. Watch him as he digs in on his man. Now eating in a lot of trouble there. You can see him hooking the tights right there, bringing his man over. And although it uh, very quickly disappeared, uh, the value of instant replay, if you will. But nonetheless, Art Anderson's the man. Ladies and gentlemen, to TBS and the NWA main event, we're going to go back in time in a few moments to a piece of videotape from World Championship Wrestling. Lion, Bryan, and Z-Man were wrestling the United States Tag Team Champions at Midnight Express, of course, of which beautiful Bob Eaton is a prominent member of. And then Big Sid Vicious came to the ring and really made his presence known. Bob, he got right in your face. Yeah, Jim, you know, he got in my face. So what? Big deal. You know, it don't matter to me. Sid Vicious, you're a big guy. Sure, you may beat me up. But every time you see me, Sid, you're going to have to beat me up. So if you beat me up tonight... Tomorrow morning when you get up to eat breakfast, think about it because you're about to fight me again tomorrow night again. That's what we're going to be. You're very, cha- you're very determined man, Bob, and I'll tell you something, whether it's one-on-one or tag team competition, I understand you guys have a major problem with the horsemen, but Sid Bitches is the one that has really asserted himself. Well, you know, Arn is a personal friend of mine. Rick Flair's a friend of mine. Barry Williams a friend of mine. Now, Sid Bitches, I haven't had no problems with you, son, but that's not we're going to have a problem. Now, if you, like I said, if you want to fight your big man, and you beat a lot of people up. Beat me up every time you see me, because that's what's going to have to do, son. Let's go back in time now, ladies and gentlemen, and see that piece of videotape. Just uh, some highlights from beautiful Bobby uh, in the ring, but just some great moments. If you go to YouTube and just type in Bobby Eaton, you'll just get a treasure trove of just great moments from one half of the Midnight Express, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, A couple of things before we hear from Bobby, and that is, (laughs) there's a number of things that resonate with me. When I think of Bobby Eaton first, I think about that right hand, how he slap his, his bicep and deliver a right hand, but it was stiff, right? It was sudden, but it was stiff. I always remember his high flying ability, uh, the way he would able to fly off the top rope. Earlier in the podcast, if you were listening closely, um, you heard Dave Melter talk about how Randy Savage and Bob Eaton had great matches before Randy Savage was working for his father's promotion, ICW, uh, which is amazing. I would love to see those matches, but I guess because they were both high flyers, right? Um, the way that Eaton would come off the top rope, the way he was a high flyer, it was just unheard of. Now it's it's commonplace. Everyone can fly from super heavyweights to lightweights to uh, those in between. Everyone can do it, but it was so rare during that time. It's almost like he was a ground 
just just kind of just breaking ground uh, of someone that was doing high spots uh, during his time. So that would make him a pioneer in that regard. And just just the way that he would just turn his face when Jim Cornette would say something. Because, again, during the Midnight Express, Bobby didn't have too many promos. We played a few of them for you here. Uh, when Jim Cornette was not with the Midnight Express or, you know, the few times in Memphis where you heard Bobby speak. But Bobby was not a great promo, but he was solid enough for you to understand. Um, and so his silence also, I think, was attractive, I think, to some wrestling fans, too. Like, what's Bobby thinking? Because Bobby doesn't speak. So what is he thinking? Right. Well, there's some times where he did speak. Um, there is a classic full interview for Bobby Eaton. I believe this is from High Spots. It is from High Spots. Just let me give you a glimpse of what was going on in his mind. Uh, Bobby Eaton talking High Spots. You had a couple opportunities to go to Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, what are your impressions of wrestling over there? Oh, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. They run a great company over there. Real good company. Everybody, every person, you know, you know, got their, they, anybody can be beat over there anytime. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, some places like here, you know, oh, I can't beat that guy. Oh, I can't be beat. That's why the people like it over there because they don't never know who's going to win the match. You know, like, say, if I'm wrestling Lex Luger before I left WCW, we walked to the ring. They may think they're going to see a good match, but they know who's going to win just because of the way that they programmed it. You know, they they put it to people my well. They don't, they don't give you a win here and there. They just beat you, beat you, beat you. Which I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, when, they, when the ratings are down, don't put me in there. <laughs> don't put me in there and try to get them up. Because right. they don't beat me down. As far as I don't know. I don't know what they think about that. Right. I believe in building up building up the characters, you know. If you get beat two or three weeks, whatever. They give you a couple weeks of winning. Maybe a little more. Or give a shot to the people. Let, 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 let me be uh, somebody push it support, shock him and it gives me credibility so I can put another guy over you know if you keep putting somebody over then you don't need to be in this business mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> how about there's a there's a whole new generation of young stars and stuff and I'm kind of, you know I know a lot of a lot of guys don't even watch the TV anymore but it sounds like you follow a little more than most. Right. Any guys out there that are young and you just really impress you? Mm. My favorite wrestler is Chris Benoit. Yeah. Oh, man, he's, he's enjoyable to watch. I like all of them. Mostly them. Oh, wowzers. Look at my... Speaking of putting someone over, as uh, Bobby was just talking about, you know, during the Clash of Champions, Ric Flair once took on Bobby. It was a two out of three fall matchup, and even though I was a Midnight Express fan and know that Bobby Eaton was a solo competitor, I was like, there's no way that Bobby Eaton can beat Ric Flair in two out of three falls. And guess what? Bobby won the first fall. It was really impressive because I'm like, oh, wow, he took the first fall. Of course, Flair took the last two falls, but Ric Flair versus Bobby Eaton. So Ric wanted to work with Bobby because Ric had the book. He was the booker at the time in WCW, and he wanted to really work with two two wrestlers in particular. One, Brian Pillman, the other one um, is Bobby Eaton. And he was able to work with Bobby Eaton, and that was cool. It was absolutely cool to see a world heavyweight title matchup with <laughs> with Bobby Eaton against Ric Flair. Here's another story I picked up over the last seven days. 
Goldberg had his streak in WCW, as you remember, on Nitro. He had a long streak of winning. It was a great idea made by Terry Taylor to have Goldberg kind of be like Mike Tyson, just beat everybody, have a long winning streak. People would follow it. So I think that that was tremendous. Goldberg's streak was great. Um, And Goldberg mentioned to those in WCW, says, you know, I got this long winning streak. And they're trying to figure out, well, who's going to ever break the streak? And Goldberg spoke up and said, it should be beautiful Bobby. And I want you to think about that for a second. Now, of course, of all people, because Goldberg went through everybody, all the top stars, almost all the top stars. And he said, I really want to lose my first match to beautiful Bobby because Bobby worked so hard with him as far as training worked hard with him as a, um, you know, trying to get Goldberg ready and just was just an all-around great guy and that he was an all-around great wrestler. And Goldberg's like, yeah, let me drop the my first match to Beautiful Bobby. And, of course, WCW's like, no, no way, because there was a time in from the mid to back of the 90s, especially in the Nitro era, Bobby Eaton was on WCW Saturday Night just losing everybody, and that's also on YouTube. Just he was... Uh, a car- became a carpenter, someone who was with the company for a long time, who was a superstar champion, main eventer when they put the Rock and Roll Express and, and Midnight Express on B towns and B shows. Ric Flair, of course, Dusty Rhodes would be the A town, but you know, selling out stadiums, selling out arenas, the Rock and Roll Express, and Midnight Express, and he his whole career he's with WCW and he ends up kind of being like um a carpenter, kind of like making others better. And, and again, Bobby had no problem as long as he's getting paid, apparently. <laughs> but it's just, uh, I find that interesting that Goldberg is like, yeah, let, let's let's end the streak with uh, <laughs> with uh, Bobby Eaton beating me. That's just amazing. That would have been great history. Well, I'm glad that you're part of this podcast, wherever you're listening to us from. Um, thanks so much for checking out uh, this podcast. And, um, you know, It just seems like with each wrestling death, especially those that we watch or read about, that your childhood just goes away. Just step by step, your childhood just goes away. And for me, the Midnight Express were my favorite tag team. And to see half of that gone, or maybe you could say a fourth of it gone, because Jim Cornette clearly is still around and causing havoc. And there's Stan Lane and Dennis Condry's hanging on as well. And to see Bobby Eaton, again... It's so good to hear those stories, positive stories about Bobby Eaton, the kind of person that he was, how giving he was, and the kind of wrestler he was as a solo, but even before he became a tag team wrestler. It's just, it's just great history. I hope that you enjoyed our look back at the life and career of beautiful Bobby Eaton. Thanks so much, as always, for listening, and don't forget to subscribe uh, to this podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, ESPN Chicago app. Just tell people that John the Hood's talking wrestling Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. Resting peace to one of the all time greats, beautiful Bobby, half of my favorite tag team of all time, here on Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. I am presenting to you now the Mid South Tag Team Champions and the man who will defend those belts proudly throughout the program. Loverboy Dennis and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. He was 
one of my favorite guys to work with in the ring. I got nothing but respect for beautiful Bobby Eaton, him, and uh, whether it was Loverboy Dennis Condry or Sweet Stan Lane with Jim Cornette as their manager, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. I love Bobby Eaton. He was so good. My God, timing. Bobby could do anything and had immaculate timing. Man, you talk about a quality man. I don't know that there's a better human being on the planet than that man right there, Bobby. You know, for 12 years or something, we lived one street apart. Best friends. Love Bobby Eaton. You met the Rock and Roll Express. You came out victorious. However, tonight, things may change. Oh, lots of things change in life. People change, places change, things change. And a lot of things change in professional wrestling, especially over the last couple of years. But some things never change. The Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, still the greatest tag team matchup in the history of professional wrestling. But we never get enough of beating those punks up. Bobby Eaton was, in my opinion, the greatest tag team wrestler that has ever lived, if not one of the greatest wrestlers that uh, ever lived. It ain't bragging, it's fact. We're the number one tag team in professional wrestling. Please welcome one of Sting's best friends and a little singer himself. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful Bobby Eaton. If you're a younger fan and you've never seen Bobby and Arn in tag action, it's a clinic. And if you're a tag team wrestler, you'll want to be. You're somebody that's uh, just getting things rolling in their career. These are the kind of unknown to the general populace of matches that you want to watch. Understand why they do what they do. Understand how they make transition. They're not awkward. They're not clumsy. They're not clunky. They're, everything's smooth, and it makes sense. It's logical. And this right here, this middle mark of that thing that I own, in which I'm going to be the people champion, and give it here to fend against anybody and anyone. That's including this little chump in the ring right now. Now look at the strength of Bobby Eaton. Professionals, professional. He's just one of the nicest guys in the history of the wrestling business, no doubt about you. Um, Bobby was like just pure of heart, man. Oh, and I remember Mick Foley talking and praising Bobby Eaton for helping him early on. You know, Goldberg, you know, wanted Bobby Eaton to end his streak because of all the help that Bobby Eaton gave him early on in his career. Some things never change. We're still the greatest tag team combination in the history of professional wrestling. Always have been and always will be, regardless of who says different.